somewhere. She'll be here. When, okay. <laughs> she left. Um, so um, it's just really been a blessing. So we had them booked for our retreat. And so when we decided to change this to one night event, we felt strongly that the Lord was still leading us to incorporate them into this evening. And, you know, the other thing that we like to do as women is plan a theme. You know, everything has to be, if the shoe fits, wear it, or, you know, a purse theme, or, so far, you know, leopard and zebra and whatever. And so um, our theme was really driven from the, these two girls and their stories. And um, that's why we chose them is because they both have really neat stories that they've both been very vulnerable to share. And, um, and, and the truth is, as they would both tell you, it's not their story, it's the Lord's story. And he has just appointed them to be vessels and messengers of his grace and his love. And I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice, y'all, too. Um, all that screaming at my children. <laughs> no. Um, I'm sorry, Mommy's got an event tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but um, they uh, both just have really neat, special stories, and I know that you will be blessed immensely um, to hear of their faithfulness and uh, their love for the Lord. And they are not big-time speakers. They wanted me to tell you that, you know, and they're both using clicker PowerPoints for the first time. And so this is just, um, maybe not, maybe Renee's used clickers before. But, um, but we are so excited to have them. And I just pray that tonight, the second, the twofold thing of this event is that not only will you hear these ladies' stories and go, wow, you know, they're amazing. You'll realize that the God that you serve and, and Jesus that's in your heart is the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. And we each have a story to tell. And that's really our heartbeat of this event is that any of you could be up on this stage. It really doesn't matter, you know, your credentials or if you've gone to seminary or if you know a bazillion Bible verses, but that the Lord works in your life and um, that um, we are to be good stewards of your, of our story, that that is a resource and a gift that the Lord gives to us that we can then give to others. So I know you'll be blessed. Um, while I'm up here, too, I just wanted to take a minute to thank the team. You know, um, events like this don't just happen like that, although um, it may seem it. And the amazing decor, if you feel like you're at Round Top or a flea market, or um, was the team was led by Rebecca Borski. And, um, and she had a great, phenomenal team. Um, Rebecca's and mine and Daniel Ignatenko's and Amber, all of our houses are empty. It looks like we're moving right now because all this stuff is on the table. So you can pray that that kind of trickles back to the right house. But, um, but we are just thrilled to, you know, we're hoping that even the stuff on the table kind of tells a story. And so that was kind of where we were going with that. And then at the very end of the evening, something that's really special is you will receive a book of stories of grace. And there's like 25 plus stories from different women here in the church that submitted just a portion of their story. It may be their life story. It may be just a segment in their lives. It may be an event, but just demonstrating God's faithfulness. And so you will receive one of those to take home with you. And then just to continue on with this theme throughout the year and to be inclusive of more women, we're going to, on the women's ministry blog, Carolyn's going to start where we feature a story a week or a story every other week, depending on how many we get in. And we just would ask for you to prayerfully think about your story and submitting it so that we can post it and just um, encourage one another with what the Lord's doing in our lives. So um, I think that's it. Um, do you want to do one more door prize? A door prize? <laughs> 
And then Vanessa, if you'll get ready to pray. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So as Lee said, we're got a full house tonight. I just want to say there's one person in particular, very close to my heart, near and dear, the very first person who registered for this event. So <laughs> Melissa Poling, are you in here? I hope she's here. We're, oh, okay, stand up. Yay, Melissa. So with it, organized together. So you get a door prize, Melissa. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, ladies, uh, we just want to lift up the night in prayer. Just go before our Father and trust him um, with our stories and, and with this time that he'll really just use it in our lives. Um, so if you'll just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, just for your gracious provision of this night. We thank you for um, just the story even of this night and how you put it together. Um, And in the midst of that, you're a great God who has just orchestrated each of our lives just so beautifully. And um, God, we just want to praise you for that tonight, and we want to thank you uh, just for each woman here. Um, We ask just over um, every uh, speech that you would give grace, that you would give wisdom. Um, Let our hearts and our ears just be open to you, Father, to let your spirit move. And um, God, I ask that you would uh, just minimize any distractions, that we really would be um, just led by you tonight, Father. And uh, we just ask that uh, you would move here and you would be honored and glorified in in everything we do and think and um, all of our interactions with one another. Um, thank you, Lord, for, for this um, just gift that you've given us and, and for your greatest gift of all of Christ, um, who draws us all together in this time tonight. Um, we just ask your blessing over it, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, and I, I want to introduce, that was Vanessa Rodriguez. She's one of our college interns. And she and Aaron Belcher, one of the other college interns, organized a really sweet prayer time this morning for this event and specifically for each of you women. And we each prayed for you by name on a list that they um, printed out for us. So I just wanted you to know that. And um, those girls are also heading up at the end of the evening. For those of you that can stay and party with us, we're going to do an awesome craft. It's a journal, these really beautiful journals with um, neat paper. And so they're going to lead us in that. Um, Okay, but now to get the program really rolling with our first speaker, Renee. Um, Let me just get a showing of hands if you remember Renee or know Renee from when she was in the college ministry. That might make her feel better, yeah. (laughs) Or worse, I don't know. Um, But I just wanted to tell you, Renee and I have been friends for a long time, and um, we have lots of funny memories together. Um, First of all, just to say, I told both of these girls earlier, Aaron and Renee, I said, you know, you have friends that you admire, and then I have, said you have friends that you want to be, which I realize is sinful, too. But <laughs> I want to be both of these women. They are amazing, godly women, and um, just to get to brush shoulders with them is a blessing, but to be f- friends at the level that I'm friends with them is an even greater blessing, and I just love them. But Renee worked at the college ministry when I was a college leader here, and so we became friends through that, but... I told her there was one funny story that we would tell. Um, she was finishing school, and she was several years, you know, ahead. And so we, you know, it would never occur to me that we would have a class together. But there was one particular semester that we had. We both, the only English credit that would fit in our schedule was literature and authors of the Southwest. I mean, serious. I mean, it was like bottom of the barrel, you know. <laughs> And so I was like in this tiny room in Blocker where there's like 10 people in the class. And I walk in just, you know, so frustrated that I even had to take this class. And Renee was sitting there in the class. And I said, shut up. Are you in here? 
so anytime I say that now, in surprise, I think of Renee, because she always goes, oh, I remember when you said shut up. And um, I tried to convince her all semester to skip the class, and she convinced me to come, and so I, I graduated. Yeah. No, but um, she is just a joy. She's a delight. I don't want to tell you her story, because she's going to tell you her story, but I will tell you that now she's off living in Nebraska with her family, and um, she is a wonderful mother. Um, do you want me to tell them your kids or no? Okay. Okay. So do you want me to tell them anything else? No. Period. Okay. Well, y'all be blessed by Renee. She is wonderful. Okay. Oh, I'm on. Good. Can I move this? There we go. Oh, friends, I'm so happy to be here. I'm like shaking because I'm so excited. Um, It is such a privilege to be here with you today and to be in the church that birthed me again. So I'm very happy. Two things I want to tell you right off the bat. Um, I do live in Nebraska now. So I just want you all to know in Nebraska right now, it's 30 degrees. It's snowing. It's the end of March. So I'm so happy to be here and be hot. It's just thrilling. And then secondly, um, before I even start, I want you to know about me that my immediate response to any strong emotion is crying, and I'm feeling some really strong emotions right now. So there's no way that I'm not going to cry, so I'm ready. If you're a sympathetic crier and I'm going to make you cry, I apologize ahead of time. So, Okay. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to tell you my story and um, excited just to be here tonight and talk about how God works in all of our lives. Um, I was born into a family who didn't know anything about Jesus, to a mom who grew up thinking that Jesus was for people with more money and better clothes than her, and for a dad with a strong distaste for the organized church. But my story doesn't begin on a summer day in the age of disco to that very mismatched couple. My story begins like all of our stories begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This great creator God made a beautiful world, and he filled it with beauty, including children of his very own, made in his own likeness. He lavished his love on his children, but his enemy managed to convince those children that God did not love them and that he was withholding his best from them. So God's children wandered into darkness, and the world that God made was broken and unraveling. Beauty turned into ugliness. Immediately, that father God began working to draw his children back to him. It's what he's been doing for the whole course of history. He was willing to do anything to restore his fatherhood, even sacrifice his own son. When the son came to earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He was the exact representation, God in the flesh, come to take our brokenness and to make it whole again through the power of his death and resurrection. From the first fall through the death and resurrection of Jesus, right up until today, our father God has been working to make all things new. His story is a story of redemption, so my story is a story of redemption. He's the redeemer, and that's my favorite thing about the main character of the story. He's both the main character and the author, and he is making all things new. He takes ugly things, and he makes them beautiful. And I'm sure many of you are like me. I still have a lot of ugly in my life that's waiting for him to be redeemed. But I do have a few things I've already been able to see, the redemption of the Lord, and so that's what I want to share with you here today. So we'll go back to that young, mismatched couple. Um, I really do have a very wonderful, loving family, but we, were not, we weren't raised in the church. We didn't even go to church on Christmas or Easter, and I did grow up in Texas, so that's pretty unusual not to even pretend, you know. Um, my mom had learned as a little girl, she thought God was a judge. She thought that God was, she thought church was a place where you went just to look good, and it was all for people with money. And my dad called himself an agnostic. Science was kind of his God, and he always has had a really bitter feeling about the church that I never really, I still to this day don't really know where that completely came from. My parents split up when I was nine, 
And soon after that, my dad remarried. And my stepmom is a wonderful, sweet lady. But she And she was raised in the church, but she was raised by a Methodist minister and grew up with just a lot of messiness. Um, it wrapped up in her what she thought about the church and what she thought about Jesus. I was exposed to the gospel as a child, primarily through um, the moms of my friends who would invite me to vacation Bible school and after-school Bible clubs. But it wasn't until um, I didn't fully understand the gospel until a Sunday morning, the summer between my sophomore and junior years at Texas A&M University. Thank you. Nobody does that in Nebraska. Do it again. Texas A&M University. I was super excited about that. So, thanks. I have one little guy that grew up in Dallas and wanted to go to A&M, but he got a scholarship to Nebraska, so he whoops for me. Anyway, he's about to graduate, so I guess I should get filled up now. So that summer, between my sophomore and junior years, I'd moved off campus and decided that finally I really wanted to explore this God thing. I'd been real curious. So that morning in the building right across the street, I heard a man named Dwight teach the Bible as if it was true. And I understood for the first time that God is who he says he is, that I don't have to figure it out for myself, that he is and he's real and he wants to have a relationship with me. I understood that he's the only source of good in the world and that relationship with him is open and available to anyone who believes in Jesus. Oh, (laughs) it was like I'd been sitting in darkness and a light shone on me. On that day, I really didn't understand completely what happened, but I knew that that's what I'd been looking for. And I said, yes, I said yes to that Jesus. And I've never regretted. I've never regretted that moment. Um, But I did have some hard times ahead. For starters, I'd just done about the most rebellious thing I could have done in my earthly father's eyes. I'd gotten religious. Um, (laughs) So I so desperately wanted my family to know about Christ. And I have one younger sister. I have multiple siblings, but one of my sisters trusted Christ a young life camp the year after I did, but the rest of my family just seemed so far away. And my friends would say, um, well, for starters, my dad would say things to me like, these people who pray to God every day, it's a mental illness, Renee. And I would say, I pray to God every day. And they just didn't know what to do with me. (laughs) Um, So my friends would tell me, oh, they would try to encourage me and say, it's just so awesome that you get to live the gospel in front of your family, and they're seeing Jesus in you. But the reality of living that didn't feel like that at all. It felt like they just think I'm a lunatic, and I went from this crazy phase that I'm in to then overnight it seemed like they were just like, oh, that's Renee. She's our religious one, you know, whatever. Um, It didn't feel at all like God was at work at the time. And a couple years towards the end of my school time, although I changed my major 18 times, so I took a little longer, um, some financial things happened in our family that um, caused me to have to drop out of school, and I had to move home to Houston for a few years. I ended up moving back there and living with my dad for part of the time and my mom for part of the time. That was the last possible outcome that I would have expected. Um, I trusted Christ. I was growing in him. I was learning to serve. I was learning to lead. Um, but circumstantially, circumstantially, my life started to fall apart. I found myself in Houston alone, surrounded by people who didn't believe in Jesus or care about him. At the time, it was really confusing. Um, It felt like following Jesus had resulted in the loss or delay of all of my hopes and dreams. Um, But now, in retrospect, I really see the Lord's hand. It was that time at home, um, living as a believer with my family, where I feel like I really learned to love them. Not just tolerate them and be nice to them because they're my family, but love them. Be the first to forgive, the first to ask forgiveness. How to put others' needs in front of my own. It was also... um, the time when the Lord really gave me the gift of learning to follow him for his sake and not because of what anyone else thought. 
Eventually, I was able to come back to College Station, and thanks to the Lord's people and his provision financially, um, I was able to graduate. After a couple of years working at the university, I came on staff of the college ministry here um, at Grace Bible Church. Jeff Payne was my college pastor, and it took his considerable powers. I don't know how many of you guys know him, but he's very persuasive. And it took all of his powers of persuasion, really, to get me here. Um, I took a lot of convincing. I'd never really seen full-time ministry as something in my future. I liked working in the real world and being around real people and didn't really want to work in the church. Church. That's kind of bad. But, um, so he hired me. I finally said yes after months and months. And then a couple days after I started the church, Jeff ended up resigning as a college pastor to enter the marketplace. And the elders called one of our associate pastors to leave the college ministry. So this is our early staff team. This is the earliest picture I could find. Look, Brian and Tristy are like babies. Um, so... You had Brian and Tristy who were trying to adjust to a new life and new marriage and new ministry. And you had my friend Matt Morton who had just been hired as a part-time college intern. Um, yeah, there they are. Everyone look. <laughs> I'll let you get it out of your system. Yes, indeed. Okay. And then you had newly on the job me who could not believe or understand how in the world I got working at a church. Meanwhile, the Lord was at work in my family. In September of 2002, my parents got their first grandchild, my niece Alyssa, Alyssa Renee. Um, yes, and my dad as a parent was really, um, I think this is true maybe of a lot of people, was kind of more on the strict side. You would never say that he was permissive or indulgent. As a grandfather, he has completely lost his mind. <laughs> anything that my niece does, anything that the grandchild does, then if they want it, if the grandkids want it, then they get it no matter what, um, no matter what's happening. So my mom had already been attending church with my sister, but I never would have thought my dad would have darkened the doors of a church. But when Kimberly had Alyssa dedicated on Sunday morning, there we all were, the whole family from oldest to youngest. Um, now, this was not a gospel-centered church at all that my sister was attending at the time. Um, I didn't even always think the pastor was preaching from the same Bible that I was, preaching, that I was reading. Um, but it was a contemporary church music-wise, and it completely blew my dad's expectations. Anything that he thought of church, this was just completely different. So unexpectedly, they absolutely loved it. And honestly, I was a little annoyed with the Lord because I went to a great church and they were never interested in coming to my church. But then here, this church that, I mean, a church that's not really teaching the Bible with a pastor I wasn't even sure knew the gospel himself. This is the church that my family decides that they want to come to. But this is the, the church that God chose to use to remove some of my dad's obstacles about organized religion and to overcome kind of some of his prejudice. They absolutely loved the pastor. My dad really related to him because he, kind of, he said he's kind of like a salesman and I'm a salesman. It's a great compliment for a pastor, right? <laughs> anyway. So imagine my horror a year later when my sister called to tell me bad news. Their pastor had been caught in a massive moral failure. The details aren't important, but it was ugly and it was long-term, and it was the kind of thing that makes people think that Christians are all hypocrites. I obviously was heartbroken, and I was so concerned about what this was going to do to my family and where they were in their journey towards the Lord. Um, but they decided to stick with the church, even though they really had loved the old pastor. I, I, the Lord just kept them there, and I praise him for that, because guess what he did? In this very big, very liberal, um, very progressive kind of denomination, when they replaced the pastor of my sister's church, they called a man who's Bible teaching and gospel believing. So, um, I mean, it just still amazes me to this day. So when my dad still said to me, now don't you expect me to get in one of those small groups and don't you think I'm going to be a Christian like you? He was every Sunday sitting in a church where the Bible was being taught and the gospel was being presented. I never would have thought that that could have happened. 
Then Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ came out. And my dad called me after he saw it and told me, I've always thought Christianity was such a morbid religion. All this stuff about death and the cross. After seeing that movie, he really understood why the cross is important to us. It's kind of important. Um, It was seeing the Passion movie that got my dad really rethinking everything that he'd ever thought about Jesus. He started studying. His favorite author in those early days was a a kind of a history scholar with a Catholic background named Thomas Cahill, and that kind of made me nervous. But my dad would call me and tell me things like, Renee, did you know the disciples were not educated men? They were just fishermen. Yes, Dad, I did know that. (laughs) He was just so excited to be learning. And then eventually, he was reading the Bible himself, reading the New Testament, telling me all about Paul. Like, Paul was amazing. Yes, Dad. I know that. Um, And then he and my stepmom actually joined a discovery group at their church. This man who'd been telling me up until like two weeks before, I'm not going to be in one of those small groups. And there he was in a discovery group. Meanwhile, so many people right here in this room are praying for my family, and especially my dad. And the beautiful part in the end of the story happened just as I was moving away from College Station. And so a lot of people who prayed for my dad never got to hear how God answered their prayers. The month before I moved away, I was home for Mother's Day, and my dad asked if he could take me to lunch, which is kind of an unusual, we're not really a father-daughter date kind of family. Um, But he wanted to tell me a story. In his discovery group a few weeks before, um, he had been telling the pastor who leads his group the same thing that he'd been telling me for months, Like, I'm not there yet. I'm not a Christian yet, but don't worry. I'll get there. Just be patient. And the pastor asked him, he said, Gary, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that whom God sent into the world to pay the price for our sin? Do you believe that he died and rose again? And the only way that we can have a relationship with relationship with God is through belief in Jesus. And my dad said, yeah, yeah, I do. But I just have lots of questions. So the pastor told him, Gary, if you believe that, no matter how many unanswered questions you have, you're a Christian. My dad said, son of a... So, <laughs> there at my favorite restaurant, my favorite Tex-Mex restaurant, which I really miss, um, my dad told me, I want you to know before you leave that I believe in Jesus and that I love him. And it was seeing him in my daughter's lives that made me rethink every assumption I had made about God. He wanted me to go with him to buy a cross on that day so that he could tell the world that he was a follower of Jesus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So I cried, and I tried to stop it, and then I went to the bathroom and texted my friend Susie, my dad just in Christ! <laughs> so, he and my stepmom have really been growing. They're serving in their church. For those of you who've been with me on this journey, my dad is teaching a class at his church about the intersection between faith and science. Like, he's <laughs> leading people. He's teaching people. It's, it's just astounding what the Lord is able to do. And my mom's been on her own journey, and seeing the Lord work in her has been amazing, and definitely watching this crazy man that she was married to make such a transformation has definitely impacted her um, as well. But she really is on her own journey with the Lord. She's pursuing Him. She's in a small group Bible study. She's growing in her faith. Interacting with her has just been so different. It's just amazing to see the Lord work. Um, She told me last year what a difference praying had made in her life. And she said, Renee, I I thought God was a judge. I didn't know I could talk to him, that he wanted to listen to me. To hear my mom say those words, it's just astounding. I can hardly believe it. And my my sister's faith has grown so much. Two of my stepsisters have started coming to church and are beginning to look at things and pursue and rethink things. Really, my brother's the only one that's held out so far. But I kind of feel like... There's no way you can withstand what God is doing in our family. Like, what are you thinking? Just come to him and trust him because, come on. Um, 
So it's just so precious to me. This part of my story has been such a faith builder. And I feel like through seeing God work in the way that he worked in, in my family has taught me so much about who he is as the author of our stories. As a young believer, I honestly was jealous of some of my friends' families. So many of my friends grew up in Christian homes, and I so wish I had skipped some of the baggage that came from growing up outside of the church. And it, I even kind of felt like, like how, who, I, who was going to want to date and marry? Like Christian families want Christian girls for, for their sons. They don't want girls that grew up with Jesus as a cuss word. Um, and it was really hard for me, but I've learned, well, number one, I've learned that even families in the church are sometimes messed up, and growing up in the church is really no guarantee that you don't have baggage. And, but more importantly, I've learned that God chose this family for me. He chose that family for me to be born in, and it was his gift to me. It was a present. It was something that he chose. Even the hardest and ugliest parts of my family background are things that I praise God for now because they help to shape me into who I am and reveal him to me. And some of the things I learned, I learned that he loves my family and every person that I love far more than I do. Sorry. Um, I learned so much about prayer. In the early years, I would just beg the Lord and beseech him to save my family. And after a while, I felt like the Lord started to show me, Renee, you're asking me to do this as if I don't care more than you do. You're asking me as if you're asking me to do something I don't want to do. I'm a redeemer. It's what I'm doing. I want to do that. Join with me. And it gave me so much faith to pray and just even to ask the Lord, help me to see where you're at work. Help me to see you and see them as you see them rather than seeing the obstacles as bigger than God is because nothing is bigger than God is. I learned to love the lost. That might be the most precious gift for me. I don't know what I have learned to love people who don't know about Jesus if I hadn't learned it from the people I love the most in the world. And it really was the easiest place possible. And I learned so much from my sweet friend, Pam Coke, um, who came to the Lord through her own daughters. And she taught me that the best thing I can do for my family is to be a good daughter, that it's God's job to save them. My job is to love them and to be a daughter, to be a sister, to be a friend. They're my family. They're not an evangelism project. And that was a great lesson to learn. I learned to bask in my Heavenly Father's love and His security, regardless of what others, even my family, the way that others or even my family treated me. I learned that if, unless I learn to live in the safety and security of my Father's love, I really can't relate to others or love others. And more than anything else, I saw the mighty power of God in this area. When I think about my dad's story, not only did God change my heart and taught, taught, teach me and shape me, But the way that he wrote the story, he used things I never could have planned. I would never have dreamed. Mel Gibson, (laughs) a dead church with a possibly unsaved pastor, a Catholic writer. I mean, God did this in a way that I never could have dreamed or imagined. And I praise God for that. I praise God for the timing of it, that years of being the only believer in my family. I mean, if we ever pray, they would say, Renee, why don't you pray before Thanksgiving, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I would pray, and my brother would say, thanks for the sermon. So, um, But, like, the Lord raised my dad up to be the spiritual leader of my family before he took me away, and that's such a gift to me. Um, and I, love, I just love sharing that story. Um, and now, for those of you who are wondering, like, okay, so then how did you end up in Nebraska? Or maybe you're like I was seven years ago, and you never even thought about where Nebraska is. Um, <laughs> I'm going to share that story as well. And that story begins back when I was in college. Before I trusted Christ, I had a pretty negative view of relationships and marriage. I always wanted to be a mom, but because of my parents' marriage and divorce, I never wanted to get married. I thought you'd have to be crazy. Then, as a young believer, I began to see what a Christ-centered family could look like, primarily through my sweet friends Jeff and Beth Payne. And that's Lauren, for those of you who are wondering, and Michael. You're like (laughs) giant grown-up people now. Um, they really did include me as practically a part of their family. I started babysitting for the pains when Lauren was two and Michael was an infant. 
um, which kind of dates me a little bit, but that's okay because she's a sophomore in college. It's all right. (laughs) Um, And really, they let me see the real deal. They let me see messing up, asking for forgiveness, working through conflict in a healthy way, honesty, reality, sacrificial love of me and of each other. And as I watched that and saw what a Christian family could look like if people are really pursuing Christ, my desire to get married really began to grow. And around the time as I was a young believer, um, I heard the concept of being called to singleness. And I was like, what is that and how do I avoid it? (laughs) So... I talked to a lot of my friends about it, and nobody else seemed to be asking those same questions. They almost all said, oh, I know for sure I'll get married because I want to get married, and the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. And I was like, I mean, I was a baby believer, and I was like, do you think that's what that verse means? Like, what if I want a car? Is God going to give me that? So I really prayed and wrestled through this. And when you're the only one asking the question, you really start to wonder, is it because God's calling me to singleness? Um, So I really prayed and wrestled. and I read books about it. And I kept trying to tell the Lord, you are God, but I want to get married. Um, And I I might have even honestly told him that he owed me a Christian family because I didn't grow up in one. So now, like, (laughs) let's trade. Um, That's a little scary. (laughs) But like all the times I battled that with the Lord, he won. Um, And so eventually I did submit And I told him, you can do whatever you want with me in this area of marriage, whatever, whenever, wherever, however. And meanwhile, I was also having kind of similar battles with the Lord about missions and being overseas and the whole idea that he could call me anywhere that he wanted me to go. And then again, he won that battle. And I told him, okay, Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. My life is in your hands, whatever, however, whenever, the whole thing is yours. As I surrendered my desire for marriage to the Lord, I never really got excited about the prospect of extended singleness. Um, I was willing, but I wasn't excited. But as I prayed and submitted about missions, I really got excited. As I told the Lord that he could take me wherever he wanted to go, I began to wait with so much excitement to see where would that be? Where could it be? Imagine my shock when the answer ended up being College Station, Texas. (laughs) But that's already where I was. (laughs) So I told the Lord... I mean, I think I told God in 1993 he could send me wherever, and the answer was College Station until 2005. Um, And I was like, Lord, that's not going, that's staying. I said you could send me. Um, But he said, as he so often says to me, if I ever hear the Lord say anything, it's do you trust me? And I do trust him. So I stayed. And I got to be a part, this is where I start crying. I got to be a part of one of the most amazing, fun, precious, life-changing ministry teams that I've ever, I just, there's nothing like it. I got to invest my life in so many precious college girls. And as I processed through this, I looked at a lot of my old um, discipleship groups, and we did theme nights a lot, so sorry, there's like crazy, craziness. Um, (laughs) It really is impossible for me to um, overestimate the impact of those years in my life. Um, Serving here, working here, working with Brian and Tristy, getting to really do ministry and life with the interns and the coworkers I had the great privilege of serving with. Um, Discipling so many precious women. I mean, I just, oh, and they really, these women discipled me. I'm sure I learned far more from them than they learned from me. It made me who I am. Oh. So as I was looking through pictures, I had to throw this one into. This is like, okay, missionary, pastor, pastor, business leader in his community. And they're like so goofy. That was 10 years ago. Look how young they are. I think they prepared me to be a boy mom. These boys. So I'll let you look for a second. Yes, indeed. Michael Medital, Trey Corey, Blake Jennings, Richard Rexdashel. Okay. My girls. Oh, so cute. (laughs) 
So this being here and being a part of this ministry really made me who I am. That's my last little groups of girls right there that I had right before I left. I got to live in the heart of this church that birthed me. And Jesus was so kind to me as I stayed. I got to send so many of my precious girls around the world. I got to travel all over the world. There was me with one group of them, I think, at one of the mid-year conferences. That's probably in Granada, Spain. Oh, goodness. So precious. And I learned that if you tell the Lord wherever, then you can learn to be content wherever he calls you to go, even if it's College Station, Texas. So for 13 years, I learned to be content and where God was calling me in College Station. Imagine my surprise yet again when that season of life was ending. And I knew for about the last year I was here that my time was coming to a close. And I was praying. I was ready. China, I'm on my way. And then um, the answer ended up being Lincoln, Nebraska, a place I literally had never thought of once in my entire life. Um, But in the summer of 2004... I ran into my friend Allison Wright at Starbucks, and she told me about a friend she wanted to meet, me to meet who lived in Nebraska. Um, now, by this time, I was in my 30s, and you don't live in this total college town in your 30s without having lots of that conversation. Like, oh, I have this friend. I think he's a believer. And you're like, okay. I didn't wait until I was in my 30s to get married for someone who might be a believer. <laughs> um, but thank you for thinking of me. I always say... Just because there's two pieces of bread left in the bag does not mean you have to make a sandwich. (laughs) You're welcome to use that, single girls. Tell that people at weddings, whatever. So, So, I learned if you just laughed it off, usually people figured it out for themselves and went away. But Allison did not go away. And... (laughs) In October of that year, she called me and told me, listen, I've really prayed about this, Renee, so you have to just be quiet and listen to me. Um, Her friend Matt had been serving in college ministry in his church since he graduated. He'd recently been hired at that same church as full-time staff. He'd been married just out of college, and several years before, his his wife had died of breast cancer. He had a four-year-old son. Now, Allison, who my dad still calls the fire starter, um, told me all about Matt, and she practically ordered me to pray about letting her give him my email address. She already talked to him about me, but he wouldn't email her. He wouldn't email me without her talking to me first, which is probably smart. And I felt like this is the weirdest thing ever. There's how do you meet someone over email? I mean, what do you even say? So I work in college ministry. I guess it's too weird for me. Um, but yeah, and it was before the days of Facebook, so I couldn't like stalk him or do anything. It was just side unseen. Um, so I told her, okay, but honestly, I didn't expect anything to come of it. Because it's email. What's going to happen? Then on November the 3rd, 2004, I got this email. Yeah. My name is Matt Meyer. Allison writes friend from Nebraska. I know. Allison's told you about me. It's so awkward. Um, anyway. <laughs> so I panicked. I got it at like 1 in the morning, and I was like, I cannot deal with that. And so then the next day, I called Susie, and between Susie and Heather and I, we like worked out my response, which was also super awkward, because anything I can tell him, he probably already knows, and what else do you say? And ooh, it's just gross. It makes me feel gross just thinking about it. So, <laughs> but I wrote him back, and then he wrote me back, and over November, November, Matt and I emailed back and forth and kind of got to know each other. Um, And I really liked him right away. He was very honest, very real. He was like a grown-up man, which was really refreshing. Um, And then several weeks in, he sent me a picture of him and his son, Luke. Little Pee-wee. So cute. Um, But he also wanted a picture of me. 
uh, cue the worst insecurity attack I've ever had. Because ordinarily, like in normal life, by the time you kind of think, oh, I think this guy's kind of great, he's already seen you, you know, but like he'd never seen me. And I felt like my heart, like I'd really been trying to guard my heart, but like you can't help but go, this guy's really great. And he hadn't even seen me. So... I mean, I just completely, I completely freaked out because basically I have two choices. I can either confess my insecurity and say, you know what? No pictures. I just can't do it, which is way too embarrassing. Um, you know, you can be insecure, but you can't tell people about it. Or I could find a picture and send it. There's no time for plastic surgery. There's no time for crushed diets. You just have to send the picture and shut up about it. So one of my sisters had recently gotten married, so I sent him a picture from her wedding and tried to work through my insecurities. That night, I had dinner with Brian and Tracy Fisher, and they had to kind of talk me down off the ledge. Um, <laughs> Benjamin was like two or three, I think he had just turned three at the time, climbed up on my lap and said, oh, Ray, I think you're beautiful. <laughs> so I can always marry him if I wait long enough, right? <laughs> and apparently Matt wasn't repulsed by me, although he since he now calls this picture, oh, you mean the black and white teacher picture? Because <laughs> so. But I don't think I look like a teacher. I'm just, you know, a girl. What? But, okay. (laughs) So he would have preferred color. Hmm. Um, But apparently it was okay because we kept emailing. And then I'm going to go back because I just can't stand to look at that picture over and over because it's me. Um, So we kept emailing. And then over Thanksgiving weekend, he asked if we could talk on the phone. So we talked on the phone the first time the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And he was super funny and relaxed. And I had no spit in my mouth and kept laughing awkwardly. <laughs> and then the next week, he wanted to talk on the phone again, and um, he told me, like, we're going to kind of DTR, but it's a good thing, so it's okay. Basically, in that conversation is where he said, I'd like to come down and meet you. And Susie had been telling me, he's going to want to come down here. And I was like, oh, no, that's way too fast. But here he comes. So <laughs> he flew down here the week between Christmas and New Year's, and I was completely a nervous wreck as I was driving to the airport because it occurred to me. I hadn't been super nervous, and then it occurred to me as I was driving, like, am I even going to know what he looks like? Like, he has a hat in the picture. Like, is he going to hug me? Is he going to shake my hand? It's just <laughs> too weird and awkward. But once I saw him and that first little initial part was over, then it's like I relaxed. But this is the person I've gotten to know. Like, this is a, he's exactly who he said he was, and it was totally normal. And just, it was great. It was perfectly fine. So over those few days, and we had our first date that weekend. He met um, the Fishers, the Bryants, the Sledges, and the Pains. I'm like, here's everybody in this um, <laughs> And I had to be careful about who I told about this, because when you're that old and single, people have been praying for you for a long time. So when I told people that there was kind of somebody in the picture, they all cried and talked about what they were going to do when I left. And I'm like, oh, no, don't do that yet. <laughs> so... I met those, all of those folks heartily approved and were on very good behavior for the most part. Um, and then before he left, he told me that he really liked me, thought it was beautiful, and he would like to date me as much as you can date someone who lives four states away. And then I said yes. And then, so that was all in December. And that January, I got to fly to Malaga, Spain to visit some of my girls who were on stint with Campus Crusade. It was my third year to go on that trip, and it was always such a precious time of ministry and fellowship, but it was also, for whatever reason, getting completely out of my environment was always a great time to really process through things with the Lord. So as I was, and you know, you have nine hours on a plane, so that gives you lots of good time. As I flew over, I kind of journaled through some of my fears about the future. I had begun to realize um, that... I really did more than like Matt. Like, it was, it was getting to be more than that. And I was beginning to really hope that he might be the answer to the prayer that I had prayed, asking God for whatever is your best. 
Um, I'd also started to realize that if God said yes to a future with Matt and Luke, then it was going to mean no to everything else that was important or precious to me. And I guess I kind of hoped that if God did have marriage and motherhood for me, it could just kind of be plopped down on top of the life that I already had that I loved. But with Matt, that wasn't the way it was going to work. Yes to Matt would mean no to so many other things. And I started to really mourn over that, that January. I kind of got a picture in my mind, like I had walked as far as I could walk, and I was at a crossroads, and I was waiting to see which way the Lord took me. But basically, I knew that my heart was taken enough with Matt, even though I'd really tried to guard it. At this point, if he becomes this guy I dated, it's going to hurt. And it's going to be heartbreak romantically, for sure, that I'd never experienced that kind of heartbreak before. So there was heartbreak on that way if, if we ended up breaking up. But then if God said yes to Matt... It was going to mean heartbreak in a way that I couldn't even imagine of leaving and being far from my family and leaving this church that I loved. And so there I was. I was picturing myself. I'm at this crossroad, and it's heartache, whichever way you turn. I just am waiting to see how bad my heart is going to break and what it's going to look like. And I, I mean, what do you even do with that? So I just kind of said, well, Lord, this is what I think. And, and I went to the conference. Um, at that conference, we sang... Um, there's the old hymn, I need thee, I need thee every hour. As we sang the verse, I need thee every hour, enjoy or in pain, come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I felt the Lord speaking to my heart. I've been seeing that crossroads with heartache and pain every way that I turned, but I had forgotten the joy. I had forgotten that because of any path that I'm on as a believer in Jesus, there's always going to be pain because this is a fallen world, and you can't avoid pain. There's no sense in trying, but there's also joy. Because he's the Lord of joy, and whatever path he leads me on, I'm never going to be apart from him, so his joy is always available to me. I hit my knees that day in Spain, and I committed to him that whatever, I was not going to live in fear of those paths. Whatever path the Lord leads me on, I'm committed to look for the joy, and I'm going to watch for it, and I'm going to wait for it, and I'm going to know that in the Lord's presence there is joy, and so I can watch for it. And so I really committed um, that, that, that because where Jesus is, there will be joy, and I believe that, and so I'm looking, and I'm watching to see how he does that. So after I'd sorted through all those feelings and journaled, because that's my other response to anything that's too hard for me, I'd write it all out, um, I got back to my hotel in Spain. Oh, going the wrong way. What's happening? Oh, there we go. And Matt had sent me flowers. In Spain, I still don't know how he managed that. And to be honest with you, he's not really the greatest about sending flowers. But he managed to send me flowers in Spain, which was pretty impressive. And all the men that were there were like, tell him to cut that out. He's making us look bad. <laughs> so, um, and it was just a reminder to me. It's the sweetness of the Lord. Like, there's joy. And so watch for it, and it'll be good. A few weeks later, in the middle of February, I flew to Lincoln for the first time, and I met all of Matt's family and friends, and I kind of did my turn of meeting everyone that was um, significant in his life, including Luke. Yes, that Valentine's Day, the middle of February. We weren't talking about Valentine's Day at the time. (laughs) So up until that time, we'd been taking it kind of slow. We'd only talked on the phone once or twice a week, and we were emailing about once a day. But in February, while I was in Lincoln, Matt told me that he was ready to start thinking about the next step in our relationship, which was marriage or engagement. Um, And that knowing with our college ministry schedules, really the only time that that could happen would be over the summer or Christmas, and he felt like Christmas was too far away. So he wanted me to start thinking and praying about how I felt about moving up to Lincoln and leaving Texas, about being married to a man who'd been married before, about being a mother to Luke instantaneously. And again, I had no spit in my mouth. I was like, um. So he said, you can think about it. So... (laughs) 
Now, along with that, in that same conversation, and I had some pretty conservative ideas about physical boundaries and dating. Not that I'd ever had a chance to practice any of them since I'd never dated anyone. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the older I got, the more I really despaired of ever finding a man, especially like the older and older man, because once you get older, you're expecting that maybe he'll be older. Um, the older I got, the more I despaired that I'd ever find a man who would go along with my boundaries. And I'd begun to pray, almost as a joke with the Lord, because I really didn't think I would ever get married at that point. But like, if you do have a husband for me, could you please give him stronger, the same or stronger boundaries than I did. And in that same conversation with Matt, he told me that he wasn't going to kiss me until or unless he married me. So stronger boundaries than me. (laughs) I was like, really? So, (laughs) and that was just one of several ways. I'd also, um, I'd also been praying. I'd watched um, my relationship with Mama Fisher is really sweet, and I'd watched Tristan have lots of friends who have a hard, and the mother-in-law relationship is kind of harder. So I'd kind of been like, if I ever have a mother-in-law, could she be like Mom Fisher? And when I met Matt's mom, you guys, she's the best. I mean, I just she's one of my best friends. There's nothing like it. So when I met her, I was like, oh no, everything's working out. <laughs> so. <laughs> so um, Before I left that weekend, I told Matt that Christmas seemed too far away for me as well. So over spring break, six years ago last week in the room, right across the hallway, um, Matt proposed to me. Um, He came and spent a couple of days in Houston and a couple of days in Austin with his family. He had an uncle in in Austin. And then while we were here in College Station, um, he asked me to marry him in the fireside room. And I said, yes, oh, here's our little engagement. Look, fireside room. And then this is at Susie's house with Luke. Isn't that cute? So I love love that picture. Still have it hanging in my house. So um, on June 11th, 2005, we were married right here in this building at the church where I first understood the gospel. The church that taught me. Oh, there's my picture. Hmm. The first church where I first understood the gospel, the church who taught me to share the gospel, who grew me, who taught me to love women and shepherd women, who gave me a heart for the word and a heart for his people. I became a wife and a mom, and it was finally my turn to get sent out. So, in 2007, we added my little Tobin, Tobin Davis Meyer, to our family. In Tobin, apparently the Lord is making up to me for all those years of having never been kissed, because this is the kissingest child you had ever seen. He follows me around kissing any part of me that he can get to. I'm like, okay, enough. He tells me every day that he wants to be with me forever. I always want to be with you. So it's just precious. So here's our family now. Luke is 11. Isn't he cute? He kind of got the hair flip thing going. And Tobin is just darling and lovable. We would have loved to have had another baby after Tobin. My thought is their ages are so different, and kind of they're both going to grow up like only children, which has some problems as a parent. And, and so I just would have loved for Tobin to have a sibling that's close in his age, but biologically that has not worked out for us. I mean, it's been four years now and no pregnancy. Um, but we've been convinced just over the last few years that the reason for that is because the Lord wants us to adopt. So we are pursuing. Thank you. Yay. I'm excited. <laughs> we just began in January to work through the mountains of paperwork. Um, and we're hoping to adopt a little boy from Uganda. And um, this is a whole new adventure, and I'm really excited to see the beauty that the Lord will bring to us through that. As I finish my story, um, I just wanted to say, I know that um, many of you are in seasons right now where you're waiting the redemption of the Lord, where you're waiting to see him take your ugly things and make them beautiful. 
And while I have seen the blessing of redemption in some areas of my life, there are so many more who wait. It's one of the things I'm excited about, about international adoption, because the reality of that is I'm inviting the hurt of the world and, and the loss and the brokenness of the world into my family so that I can see God redeem it, because I believe that he will. And I believe that that's true for every one of you. I praise God for what he's done in my family But I also wanted to just say it's not the end because they trusted Christ. That's not the end of the story. Now they get to be a part of his redemption story as he works in in and around them. I praise God for Matt and Luke and Tobin and whatever God has for the future. But one of the things that really troubled me um, as I was rejoicing in the happiness of getting married and moving and becoming a mother, so many people in their congratulations, what I heard was things like, I'm so glad God is finally blessing you. And that's really hard for me because marriage is a wonderful blessing. And y'all, I love being married. Matt is the best husband. And sometimes I just even hesitate to talk about it. I just wish everybody could have what I have. It's such a great blessing. But... He blessed me with singleness as well. That season was not a curse. That season was his gift to me, and I praise him for it. And I, I just, I don't ever want to communicate that that's the end-all, be-all blessing. Even the best marriage is a temporary state, just a picture and a shadow of the preciousness that we have with Christ. And my family's salvation and my marriage have not been keys to contentment. The secret to contentment isn't answered prayers. It's not marriage. It's not single, singleness. It's not poverty. It's not riches. As I've learned the joys and the heartache of marriage and motherhood in this new season of life, I've also had to learn to live without so much of what I had here in College Station. I've given up living in the church that gave birth to me, of a church family that is a real family to me, to people who know my whole history and this deep sense of belonging. I mean, I grew up at this church. It's just, I've missed weddings, I've missed births, I've missed funerals, I've mourned and celebrated with the people who are closest to me from far away. And it's hard. But how do I do it? I do it the same way I lived my life of singleness when I was here surrounded by those blessings. I do it the same way that I received the blessings of marriage and motherhood. I press into Jesus. I thank him for what I have, and I look at him rather than what I want to have but don't have. I look at him instead of the things that I wish were different. And I remember that moment by moment, I live in his presence. And my life is an offering, and in his presence is fullness of joy, and it's always available to me. And I still say, Lord, whatever you want, what, whatever will bring you the most glory and the, make me the most dependent on you. And I trust him oh, to make ugly things beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, I can't really go very much further. I trust him to make ugly things beautiful. Today, um, I've shared two of the parts of my story um, that are the sweetest to me, what we would consider happy endings. But in both cases, it's not the end. It's not the end of my story, and it's not the end of the bigger story that God is writing in every one of our lives of his redemption. That story does have a happy ending, and it's one that we all wait for, and it's a sure thing. Oh, look, there we are at Disney World. Sorry, I missed that one. (laughs) This is the end of the story. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, any mourning, or any crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's been such a privilege to me to be here with you guys today and talk about this God who makes all things new.
Don't you think we need to find a way to get uh, Renee and Matt back to College Station? <laughs> um, okay, if y'all want to take um, just a five-minute bathroom room, bathroom break before we um, bring up Aaron, and then we're going to have a couple small group questions for you to discuss for a couple minutes when you get back. There's coffee at both ends of the room, and there are a few spare desserts um, for anyone that's bold enough to come to the table again. And... Um, what did y'all think about that food, too? Is that amazing? So let's thank Amy Salak and all the kitchen team and, um, for that delicious food. And I hope that I know, like all 270 of you, can't get, to talk, get a chance to talk to Renee. But if you do, um, and, and later we're going to give you her contact information. She has a blog and a, um, not a website, a blog and an email. <laughs> yeah, not a website yet. Um, but we would, she would love um, to correspond with any of you and answer any questions or be an encouragement to any of you.